1: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. State Investor Radio Show, a real estate investment program. Listen and learn how to use real estate to build wealth and passive income streams for you and your family. We bring you experts every day to discuss and answer your questions on everything from single-family homes all the way up to 600-plus-unit apartment complexes. And now, the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Welcome to the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. I'm your host, Del Wamsley. As always, we're working on your financial freedom. With me here today to cover a variety of topics is Charles Ho. Charles came prepared today to discuss a topic on how to manage your staff in your apartment complexes and how to develop uh, your team around you. And uh, I'm going to interrupt that conversation first by going over something uh, that people have been pounding me with all week long. They've got me to succumb to uh, the desire to cover some negative economic information that's come out for Dallas. And since Charles is from Dallas, I think that's the perfect person to discuss this information with. So I'm going to go ahead and cover it. And unlike what would be considered normal radio rules, I'm going to read some stuff right off of the page because I cannot articulate it any better than just straight right out of the material because it's a lot of factual type statements. Uh, So I'm just going to go ahead and read it out to Charles here so that he can prepare himself to to conversate on it. So it states Dallas once vibrant housing market is sputtering in the high end subdivisions in the suburb of Frisco. Builders are cutting prices on new homes by up to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars per home. On one street alone, $4 million of new homes sat empty on a visit earlier this month. Some home builders are so desperate to attract interest, they're offering agents the chance to win Louis Vuitton handbags and Super Bowl tickets with round-trip airfare if their clients buy a home. Yet fresh-baked cookies sit uneaten, sparingly attending these open houses. The U.S. economy just had one of its best six-month stretches in a decade as unemployment rates hovered around its lowest level in half a century. Still, along with recent swoons in stock market, the housing market, which makes up one sixth of the US economy, has been troubling weak spot. US existing home sales have declined on an annual basis for eight straight months, the longest slump in more than four years, according to the National Association of Realtors report Wednesday. The slowdown has driven by places that have earlier seen some of the strongest price growth during the recovery, including Seattle, Denver, New York, Boston, and Bay Area. Dallas which had the second strongest annual increase in employment of any metro area in the country um, is one of these areas that's having the hardest turnaround even though the economy in the sprawling metro area has boomed home prices has grown much faster than wages buyers have been wages buyers have been sustaining to afford homes those price challenges have masked have been masked in part by access to cheap credit But the era is coming to an end. Since the beginning of the year, mortgage rates have risen about a percentage point to the highest level since 2011. We have this huge affordability crisis, says Ted Wilson, principal of Residential Strategies, Dallas Consulting Firm. With mortgage rates going higher, we're hitting a ceiling. New and existing home sales in Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area fell 3.6% in October compared with a year earlier. According to the Real Estate Center for Texas A&M University, while median price homes, while the median price, while the median home price growth slowed to less than half of the pace a year ago. Dallas has been the canary in the mine shaft, according to Paige Ship, regional director of some metro study and consultant in home builders. Uh, homes are taking longer to sell bidding wars are rare and price cuts are more common uh as buyers absorb the impact of the higher rates dallas is one of the markets where affordability has gotten further out of whack with historic norms the metro area avoided the last housing boom with home values from 97 through 2006 rising a moderate 2.5 percent a year on average according to zillow uh, where other places they rose as much as 26 percent as a whole so, Charles, here we sit. Let's see what we can make out of some of this stuff. First of all, we'll talk about the fact that um, there is this lowering of the number of new homes sold, uh, especially on these mansions, these big, expensive houses. That particularly doesn't affect me at all. It doesn't bother me at all in the macro sense. Um In fact, when they said there's no bidding wars, I actually think that's probably a good thing. In other words, it's been a seller's market so strongly that now, you know, they put something on the market, somebody's got to buy it. Before, people were bidding the prices up, paying more than what the list price was, which I think is a ridiculous position to be in. So I'm not really worried by that aspect of it, that it's no longer a seller's market. Um, I'm not worried about it as an apartment owner because of the fact that if people aren't buying these homes and if they can't build, affordable housing, which is the next segment of this article, which I didn't even cover in the last segment, which is that they can't build affordable housing anymore, that those people don't have any place to live except our apartments. Um, All of this doesn't seem to scare me too much other than, and I brought this up last segment, that maybe it's a trigger, maybe it's a point. You know, everything on a pendulum, if a pendulum swings back and forth, the pendulum has to peak before it can come back down. Maybe we peaked. How do you see this? Charles Ho, liver and master of the Dallas market. How do you see all this?
0: Hey, great to be here with you, Dale. Um, actually, I want to go back to what you said in the first, I think it was two, three sentences, and sentence. just drill on that just a little bit. I think it's that one street had $4 million in new homes Empty uh, on a visit. Okay, so picture this in your mind: four million dollars worth of new homes. Okay, how many houses do you actually see? Okay, and then I'm going to go back about one another sentence before that. The builders are cutting prices by $150,000 each. Okay, how expensive does a house have to be to be able to cut $150,000?
1: Are you telling me these houses cost a million bucks pe- apiece, Charles? Are you are you are you alluding <laughs> yeah. to the fact that this is four houses maybe on that street that cost a million bucks each? Is that what you're saying?
0: There you go. What's a big deal? Four houses on one street in a new subdivision.
1: Very good point. Very very good point. That's a, you, you pulled that one out of your hat. That's a good one. So what else do you see? How else do you read this article? Well, is there anything in it, anything at all interesting, or is it just the natural marketplace that they've just kept building and raising the prices and building the raising prices, and finally, hey, they've gone too far. Is it is it is it on the on the builders and not on the buyers? Is it really a builder problem, not a buyer problem?
0: Well, when you have builders that continue to raise prices uh, because the demand was there. Uh, not because your cost is truly higher, then eventually you're artificially inflating the price. And at some point, the consumers will come back and say, you're too high, I can't buy. And they will have to make just sure their prices. This just may be as simple as that, okay? I don't know the the true economic behind on the builder side, but the first thing I, I, I got out of this was, wait a minute, four or five houses on one street, what is the big deal, Okay. And then from there, the the writer pulled these numbers from left and right, but it seems like everything is about the last two, three quarters. We haven't seen a larger picture of it at all. And at the same time, Frisco, Plano, Dallas area, these are hot, booming markets with hundreds of thousands of people moving in on an annual basis. This may just be a temporary situation. We haven't seen enough to be able to say this will sustain.
1: Well, let's say it doesn't sustain. It is definitely a change in market conditions. So how do you see that change affecting anything that you're doing out there at all, or is it just non sequitur? It means nothing.
0: It means nothing to us whatsoever because we invest into Class B, Class C apartments, um, that's mostly working class to fly white collar environment and people need a place to stay. They need a roof over their head. Um, yes, maybe that a one bedroom apartment instead of uh, a single, a single individual, instead maybe a small family that just newly uh, married, the, the situation more or less is okay. These are quoting large million-dollar homes. That's not your typical environment. That's not your typical working class. Let's push that aside. Let's kind of look at just the working class. If it's working class, then what's the average income in the Dallas market? And in Frisco, in Plano, the average income medium for households are over $90,000 each. Okay, 90000 in the old way of traditional rule of thumb calculation, $90,000 $90, a year can buy them a $270,000 home. If the starter homes are at that price, they can still afford to buy those homes. And more and more uh, new families are dual income nowadays, so that means their income can go even higher they can buy even more homes. So if you were $90,000, let us just say we have 50% only instead of multiply by two, we're saying somewhere around $140,000. 140000 times three, that is what, $420,000 worth of a home they could afford.
1: Okay. I don't know where this, well, we'll whole- this article is trying to well- We'll come back to that because there's more on exactly what you're talking about the median price, the median sales price, and so forth. We'll cover that when we come back. Guys, 877 711 5211. If you want to call and ask Charles or myself a question, get on the phone now. We'll be right back with Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio. 1370. Welcome back to Lifestyles Unlimited, Real Estate Investor Radio Show. With me here today is Charles Ho out of Dallas. We're discussing uh, this article that came out about how the Dallas housing market on the top end is cratering. So Charles, I flipped over to the next page and covered this other information that you had sort of shot down to. Uh, it says, prices have shot up in the past five years, this is by Dallas, it's about Dallas, by the way, to 235000 for a medium-price home. Now, remember, when we came out of the crash, right, when we came out of the crash in, in 2007, 8, 9, we had the crash, 2007, 8, median prices were $152,000. So uh, this is 50% above, they're saying, uh, what it was in 2007 peak. Uh, which was in line with increases in places like San Francisco, Seattle, and so forth. As mortgage rates rise, buyers increase to look for less expensive homes. That's pushing builders further out to the fringes in search of low-cost land where they can try to build more homes priced at $300,000 or less. The median price for new homes in Dallas has dropped by some $3,000 this year compared with last year, according to Metro study, which suggests builders are building at lower price points. That can be a risky strategy after the heat has already started to come out of the market. During the last downturn, it was precisely those ex urban neighborhoods that got hit the earliest and the hardest by buyers migrating back to more desirable neighborhoods when prices fell. So you see what they're saying there is that you build all this stuff out there because it's cheap and people might buy it now, but if markets start to fall that stuff craters because nobody really wants to live out there. They're only living out there because it's the only place they can afford. But if all of a sudden inner city or more desirable areas become open and those prices come down to more affordable pricing, people are going to move into those things and leave all this ex, ex-urban neighborhoods to rot. Uh, do you guys have ex-urban neighborhoods out there? I know in Houston we do. We, Houston is like a swamp that goes on forever forever. And we just keep building at the edges. And you know, right now there's housing all the way from Galveston all the way past Conroe, all the way past Rosenberg. I mean, all the way my, all the way out now. Down Highway 59, I I10, miles and miles and miles, and all the way over to Beaumont on the other side. I mean, Houston is is a like five counties. Uh, so that means there's all kinds of this ex-urban neighborhood stuff. Uh, what about up there? Do they have that up there, or is it just Plano, and that's the end of the world? It stops.
0: No, Plano has, uh, further out, they can go from Plano to Frisco to uh, Prosper to Salina to Gum You can just keep going, but the thing is, there are people who choose to live out there. They choose the lifestyles. Um, they choose Charles, are, you, are you sure? Charles?
1: Are you sure? Are you sure? Or is it like they're saying that's all they can afford? You know, I live in a 16000 square foot home that would take my entire net worth to buy probably in California here in Houston. It was a year's worth of paycheck. I mean, I live out in X urban area. There is a difference, man. You can own a lot more home further out. So you can say I chose this area, but would I rather be a better location if I could for the same? I would. So the question is, are you sure that they're buying it because they want to be out there in the middle of nowhere? I mean, this is Texas. You're out in the prairie.
0: <laughs>
1: or, do they, or is it just well, price? I, Come on. I, be honest. Be honest now. Which one is it? If, if you say right, it's because they want to live can, out there, I'll I, take your word for it.
0: I cannot categorically say everybody's that way, but there's always both sides of the coin, Right. There are people who choose to live out there, and then there are people who are forced to live out there. But keep in mind, there are still apartments with rents in the less than $1,000 a month in the so-called urban or near downtown areas. So people still have a choice. If they choose to live in apartments and keep their uh, rents down, they can still do it. That's still doable. And I just want to go back real quick because I remember almost, I think this is journalism 101. When you write stories, you write these keywords in there and then you, you, you're supposed to trigger some type of a, a emotion and, and attach to the story so you keep on reading. And I think you mentioned houses dropped $3,000 this year of a $300,000 home.
1: That's 1%. Yeah. 1%, yeah. <laughs> What's the big deal? I
0: think they you know, marketing budget budgets more than that 1%. To sell
1: the you, know, house. I think it, you know, Charles, I think it's a big deal to the builders <laughs> and a big deal to the real estate agents. I don't know. You're, you're right to us. It means nothing at all. And, you know, it's just one of those things. So we'll take a short break. We'll be right back with Charles Ho and the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investment Radio Show. If you call in 877 711 11 We'll be right back. 1370. Welcome back to Lifestyles Unlimited, a real estate investor radio show. With me here today, today is Charles Ho, multifamily mentor out of the Dallas market. Uh, Charles, we're going to change directions now. We're going to pick up on uh, the topic you came prepared to talk about today. Um, and uh, you, you presented an idea in your s- s- syllabus today that I thought was interesting, but I think we got to be careful about how to provide the the insight into this. And that that was your saying, you know, we normally go out and buy an asset, then we figure out how to staff it. And in your case, you said that you've come to the conclusion you want to staff it and then buy it type of thing. Uh, Very interesting timing issue there. Uh, Secondly, it also has to do with how big your portfolio is. Does your portfolio have enough room to be able to sustain some short, absorb some short-term payroll costs to be prepared that when the next deal comes along, that you're closed. And by the way, is this something you're doing way in advance, or is it just right after you get into contract and you realize you're going somewhere? So it's an interesting conversation, to say the least. The value of the staff is utmost important. I can change the value of an apartment by changing the manager. That's a simple statement, but a very powerful statement. The people who run your business are your business and will determine your asset value. So I'm going to let you take it from there. I don't know how you wanted to propose this conversation, but I wanted to warn on those points. That could be a very scary situation about telling people to pick up payroll before they have income to cover it. Go ahead.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think the important part of it, more or less, is you need enough time to train uh, the new staff to understand the company philosophies and values and systems like that ahead of time. And I guess as far as how far you can advance, depending on your ability to absorb that payroll cost, um, we try to have the hiring started as soon that we found a deal that's suitable and we are going under contract. So basically the day of under contract we are acting very actively looking for that individual. Um, and we want that individual to be on the payroll as soon as possible so that we can start training immediately so they understand the company philosophy philosophies and, and everything that goes along with it. And so that they can get a taste of going to other assets that we already own and understand the operation so that that's one way we do to standardize everything so that when they get you a new asset, uh, they already know what they require. required. Uh, they don't know how to do everything according to the way we want it done and just start working immediately. So that's really the, the main idea behind that. No, we're not promoting or saying we need to hire somebody two years ahead and then while we're looking for something to, to buy. No, we 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 want them to be on payroll as soon as we have an asset ready for them.
1: Okay, so let's take it one step further then. Um... I've heard both sides of this story, so I'm going to hear your opinion. Um, I know some people that say that hiring staff is finding the right person. In fact, I think that's Melissa's theory. You find the right person that you can work with, that is willing to learn and study and and take your direction, and you can take in in the apartment industry, take those kinds of people and make them great employees. Um, Robert Martinez believes that a little bit to be true. Also, I believe, yeah, no, he does believe that because he's almost, he's, brought most of his staff up from underneath uh, keeps the staff growing within uh yet other people are kind of uh i think more john ridgeway-ish which is let's just go hire people in the industry that have already done it for years it's you know drop and plop into positions and they should be able to do it what, what's your opinion on that charles
0: We, our experience tells us that we do better based on our philosophy is that we train them from the ground up. Uh, you build a lot of relationship there, and you build a lot of loyalty. Um, and I always say this in the past. If I can steal somebody from somebody else, then that person can be stolen from me just as well and just as easy.
1: Interesting point. It's <laughs> a good point. It's kinda of like a wife. Would you ever want to marry the girl you cheated on another man with, right? You know, if she'd cheat with you, she cheat with somebody else. That's a good point. All right. So how do you uh how do you find these people and what do you, what do you look for? We
0: may we mail for a great game player and this goes back to a book I've read before, is that the person has to be humble. Uh, has some smarts, and at the same time has to be eager. Um, I think the book makes you hungry, I guess sometimes it gets misinterpreted, but it has to have the eagerness to learn, and once you can find that well, combination, I, think,
1: Char- you know, Charles, I with- think I think, we're hungry. We're hungry for some ads to pay for the bills to have the show on the radio, so we're going to have to take a break. <laughs> we'll be right back with Charles Ho and the Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Rail Show. Top
0: thirteen seventy.
1: The Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio in Show today. Charles Ho, multifamily mentor out of Dallas, is discussing hiring staff for his uh, businesses as he realizes that they are the key determining factor of success in many cases. Charles, pick it back up. Uh, you said you like to pick people that are educated or at least intelligent, good learners, loyal. And then, what do you do with them? How do you get them trained?
0: We'll, we'll bring them in and understand their personality profile um, and also is what we call a team uh, player profile. Understand what best positions fits them based on their natural tendencies. And from there, we get through the onboard process and let them understand what the company values are uh, and making sure that we that it is a fit. Um, one thing I've always said in the past, I can train somebody the skill sets all day long. There's never an issue, but I still haven't figured out how to properly train somebody to be honest. And we have gone <laughs> through several of those situations in the past. And now it is number one issue for us. If we can't trust the individual there, no matter what I do, it's not going to work out. So that's how we get through the process and placing them on, on on property going through the the, uh, the the procedures and then let them see what that position really is about and they just tip their toe in it do a little bit and we assess that and make sure that it is something they are natural and from there we just keep going and then usually we're thinking about three month period we can get them to a level where they actually can become Self-sustaining, so, when, when we say that, is they actually can generate uh, or do enough work to warrant uh, the, the pay they're receiving.
1: So let's go back to the honesty thing for a second, because I, I like the statement, but I'd like to have a little more rubber to the road in how you ascertain in an individual up front. Uh, do you put them through some honesty tests, throw some dollar bills on the table and leave them there, see if they pick them up or take them home with them, or How do you ascertain someone's honest up front like that?
0: We haven't gotten that far yet, uh, but what we do is we start just having conversations, uh, building relationships. People who typically have an issue in that area are less vulnerable, willing to talk, and to be open uh, in the conversations, and they will get a little bit more evasive. And when that comes up, you know, they kind of throw us on the red flag, and then we kind of just have to dig a little bit deeper. If we have to dig really hard, um, that tells us we are onto something, and this may not be a fit.
1: Gotcha. All right, so you, you you pick these people off, and you start bringing them in. You say it's about a four-month period before they can actually start to pay for themselves to be there as an employee. What do you do in the interim while you're working with people that uh, are not self supporting not self-producing
0: uh, we see that as part of the training cost and at the same time we ri- we see that as part of the risk if i have somebody who actually comes in and looks like they're doing a great job but steals uh underneath behind the book then i'm actually better off uh having somebody who does not steal and take that money that that loss upfront become part of the training. It actually works out uh, better for us.
1: You know, just out of curiosity, what? And I asked this question with tongue in cheek because you know, as an as an educator, I hate to ask questions that lead to negative thought processes to people because people are trying to get over this. <laughs> but it's just too easy. It's set up there to take a shot at it, and it basically, well, what time is it here? I don't know if we have enough time to actually clear this, but I was going to just throw this thought out. Is that the real high problem? I've not seen theft as a very high problem. Are you seeing theft as a high problem from employees, or is that something I've just been lucky on? I mean, I don't say I haven't ever had it. Don't get me wrong, but it just seems to be like the the one thing I haven't had a major problem with. Yeah, we
0: have had that problem. uh of- Um, three occasions so far in, what, seven years? And we always review and go back, what did we do wrong? What caused this? And, of course, number one thing is when it is a uh, single individual working in the office and no other individual in the office, that tends to to start. uh, And That's one. Uh, Another is... Somebody who is not willing to be vulnerable to be open to you, has tends to have that tendency.
1: Uh, All right, we're going to cut it off right there, Charles. We got to go to break. They're taking us out the back end. We'll be right back with the last segment of Lifestyles Unlimited Real Estate Investor Radio Show. Top thirteen seventy. Welcome back to Life Unlimited, Real Estate Investor Radio Show. We'll here today is Charles Hull, multi family mentor out of the Dallas area. Charles, uh, I know you've got like a boatload of designations behind your name. So I'm sure you've taken, you know, Cam, Caps, iRove, the whole bit, whatever, like your encyclopedia. So let's go through the industries, uh, the industry basic position on what staffing should occur for each size of a property. Start with 50 unit, 100 unit, 150, 200. Tell us how you staff up a property. What what do you see the the turning points for different types of staffing combinations as you look at the size?
0: My experience uh, in the ownership side was 85, 96, 146, 48 and 256 units each, and at 85, that's one person in the office and one maintenance uh, on the outside. Uh, 96 is pretty much the same, and when we were doing that project, we started realizing, well, if we have a lot of um, uh, make-ready and renovations, we can actually afford to start having a second uh, maintenance individual to help on that process and reduce the cost on one-time contractors coming in uh, to make ready. So that's when we started building up um, our staffing uh, the uh, construction and maintenance like. And as we continue to have additional assets, um, we, we're adding in that fashion. But when we had 146 uh, we we inherited a uh, manager who was on site already, who knew how everything worked, and had the same was able to believe into the philosophies that we have, and and has a value system that matches with what we have. So that was uh, a very good combination. And 146 one person in the office typically consider, well, that's a little bit of a stretch. But for us, understanding her relationship with the tenant, uh, the resident base, tells us it's perfect uh, because we have over 85% renewal rate on that asset. And even though as we were pushing rent the, to the correct market position, um, our residents were so willing to pay because they knew that new owners coming in were taking care of them, were making things um happen making repairs so no matter what the requirements or the requests are as long those are reasonable and that's something that we believe we should be doing uh, we try to meet their needs as well and from there we started testing can we truly operate 150 units uh, with one person in the office and we had another 148 we started with one with another uh carrying a uh a manager carrying a, a part-time uh, leasing agent and it started out great uh everything was good but leasing agent had to leave and for personal reasons so we ended up with just a manager and the manager was able to hold down to that uh without much trouble And that's where we started figuring out how to stretch that individual and at the same time provide enough supervision so that we can prevent uh, theft and stuff like that that happens in that environment. And as of today, I can say we know how to run 150 units uh, with one person in office with two, one and a half, we call it, uh, which is a lead maintenance and a... Uh, assistant that's also serving as a porter uh, on the outside, on the maintenance side. So those are kind of where we are on that. And with that information, now on the 256, we learn to staff that uh, from a typical three or two and a half uh, down to two and building the people up to the point where they understand what their responsibilities are and their skill sets, so that they know how to properly manage uh, 256 units with two people on the inside.
1: So um, you're looking at trying to figure out how to reduce the payroll uh, below the standardized um, typical market situation of what's the industry standards, uh, one body per 100 units on the office, one body per 100 units outside. When you get to 150 units, you added a part-time person on each of those, and when you get to 200 units, you set up a second person. That's the stand, industry standards called the Rule 100s, what they look at per staff, so you are trying to work mm-hmm. that down. Most, most I've ever had was 132 units, which was two a 64 and a 68 across from each other run by one manager. She had no problem yeah. with it either, but again, she was a great manager. Properties were right across the street from each other, and we ran that with two maintenance guys, one on each shop, one in each location, and then her running, mm-hmm. so... Good stuff. Charles, I appreciate you coming in and sharing your insight today and uh, look forward to having you back sometime in the future. Otherwise, have a wonderful holiday. Buy lots of real estate. And uh, remember, it's not the money, it's the lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you tomorrow.